The difference between content marketing and what my father taught is a thing called resetting the buying criteria. So you could do all this education and then send them off to your competition to go purchase from your competition. So you have to educate them on everything they need to know before buying, hiring, investing in a product or service like yours. So the five things to consider before getting your garage door fixed, right? Before getting a company to come assist you with this, we can educate you on that. Number one, right? You want to look for a company that has X number of reviews and it just happens to be the number of reviews that you're telling them is just below what you have, right? Which is more impressive than your competition. So every piece that you're educating them, you're leading them to you as the only logical conclusion without saying, this is what I do. This is how I'm the best. I'm different from the rest. Yeah, we've heard it all. That's why we are tuning out the commercial messages and we're only focused on convenience and price. But if you follow the system of global pain, targeted pain, solutions, resetting of the buying criteria, you haven't even mentioned your product or service yet and they are already ready to buy. That is a masterful, what we call a core story. Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the Home Service Millionaire, Tommy Mello. All right, Amanda Holmes, welcome back to the Home Service Expert. You are in St. Petersburg, Florida. And you're an expert in leadership, business growth, sales, coaching, and marketing. You're Chet Holmes International CEO. Uh, you've been doing that about a decade. You've also got some other stuff going on like Divine Bliss, Shenanda Productions, <laughs> J-Mark Business Solutions. Hilarious. Amanda Holmes is the CEO of Chet Holmes International, which has worked with over 25,000 businesses worldwide. At age 24, she inherited her father's multi-million dollar enterprise which specialized in helping companies double their sales. And you recently did an updated version of your father's work, which we'll talk about, the new updated version. And you did an ode out to your father, which I think is amazing, very interesting. But you came on the podcast, it's gotta be four or five years ago now. Yeah, and um, to think it's been so long. We got really philosophical on that podcast, but... I think now we've got a lot of business strategy, a lot of cool things to discuss. Looks like about 20 people so far have come on. So why don't you just tell us what you've been up to the last few years? I know you're connected with a lot. I'm jumping on the phone with Steve Sims in a little bit. Tell us everything that you've been up to. Oh, me? Well, like you said, I launched the new edition of the book. I reimagined all my father's timeless strategies. It won't tell me who, but it says Facebook user said, my favorite sales book of all time. I love that. I took his timeless methodologies that have worked for decades and have updated them for the new modern times. So my father talked about yellow pages and uh, faxing, and now we're bringing it into what does it look like in a uh, LinkedIn inbound, in a text message stream, in an automation all of these beautiful things. So it's still relevant. It's just the tactics that have changed. So I've been trailblazing over there. You've been speaking a lot, doing a lot of podcasts. Your business is, feels like it's doubling every two months. Uh, <laughs> you worked with some of the massive companies in the world. What are some of the companies you've worked with? Panasonic, Volvo, Apple, Merrill Lynch. Um, 
Discovery Channel, Jiffy Lube. Wow. I normally don't list these off, so I'm rusty at having them off the top of my fingers. I should. ClickFunnels, Russell's been a client recently, which was a ton of fun. A lot of them are people, ones that people haven't heard of too. Like the largest door handle manufacturer that sells them from Europe, but is an Indian, has been in business for 50 years. The piece of paper on a mattress that says, do not remove me. That's like an eight-figure business that just prints that piece of paper that goes on a mattress pad. The strangest of things. Carpet cleaners, roof builders. I mean, all of it. How many books have you sold and when did your new edition come out? Man, I don't know off the top of my head. Hundreds of thousands of books have been sold. And what's impressive... Like I know in the last three years, we've sold over 40,000 books. But I mean, you've sold just recently with your updated version. Yeah, we did a good job. I mean, when I look at a book and making sure that it's a success, I've noticed that a lot of people are really focused. We had this dialogue, right? That a lot of people are focused on how can I get the bestseller lists? And yeah, we got some bestseller lists, but what I'm more excited about is the fact that we doubled sales leading up to the launch getting prepared for the launch. And then we doubled sales again as the book launched and the books hadn't even delivered yet. And we had already doubled sales because of the back end and everything that we've built around the book. So today I'm less about how many people and I'm more about the impact and quality. Quality over quantity has been my mantra this last year. Yeah, I mean, the book sometimes, depending on the author, the book opens up speaking events. It opens up opportunities to meet and network. It also opens up sometimes a bigger funnel for just a course. But your main goal is to help work with companies ultimately. The, the big piece of it is the book, some training, and then they w- you want to work with people. It, it's the same title. It's just the updated version. You guys have to put your names when you're writing too, because I can't see your name, but I love that someone ordered five books. Yes, that's freaking great. Yeah, me order a hundred, I think. So they, they haven't come in yet. But you know what's so great is that when I get a good book, I like to buy a lot and I give it to people that I think could use it. And you're really smart. What you did, and this is really smart for anybody putting a book together, is rather than me get the hundred, give them an Excel sheet, have them put all the names, and then each of those count towards sales. Uh, separate people. Plus then you got the names and addresses. I mean, it's really, really genius. You know, I'll tell you, this is the biggest thing I see in companies. And I want to go to a certain part of the book. I see a lot of people working, but not a lot of people working on the business. So I have them use a calendar and I have them write down everything they do each hour. And then once they get done with a couple of weeks of this, we go through and we highlight things. They were really doing great work. There's so many things, monotonous tasks I see them doing that they could get a great $20 an hour person for. And sometimes they're not using their time efficient. And time management is probably the biggest thing I see of most companies that really aren't killing it. They haven't figured out a way to hire for their weaknesses and really find people to handle all the the minutiae that happens through a day. Like even booking your own plane ticket, even pumping your own gas, even ordering your lunches. You know, those things take time and it's a compound effect of over and over and over again, you get hundreds of hours back in a year. What would you say, you know, I know you guys discuss this a lot in the book. Talk to me a little bit about time management. 
Absolutely. I mean, when we think of what we're about to go through, right, with the economy doing these crazy things that it's doing, the fear of the recession is almost greater than the, the recession itself because everybody's so worked up about it. One thing that you can do that you can master of this next year that will give you the highest returns is exactly what Tommy just said. It's time. So billionaires have the same 24 hours in a day. And yet, why are they making billions? It's because they're smarter about every move that they're making all of their time spent. So we actually have six steps to improve your productivity by 500%. And it only takes 15 minutes a day. Should I pop through those? Should I give them? I would love that. I think everybody listening would love that. Okay. So step number one is touch it once. So how many times have you gone into your email you read something, you go, oh, I need to take action on that, but you don't. And then you go and you reread it again. So it's actually on average, the equivalent of a week's vacation, just rereading information. So as soon as you touch it, you want to take action on it, whether that's sending them back an email and saying, hey, this is a very long email. I need more time to think it over. I'll get back to you in our weekly meeting. Or uh, my father used to send that all the time. Too much to discuss from this email. Never send me these long emails. (laughs) He would always say that back to people. Or if you take it and then you take action on it by putting it into a folder that you're going to handle later on. So it's when you touch it, you take action on it. Step number one. Step number two, you want to come up with your top six things that you want to accomplish that day. So this stops us from doing this. You know, I'm going to have 24 steps and I'm going to keep checking off on my list so I feel better about myself because I've checked these things. Nobody cares about the 24 things you need to get done. We're going to really prioritize and just do the top six. Do you have anything like this where you do, you set up your days? So what I do is I've got one big goal for the day, but if you saw my schedule and the way that I work with Bree to make my schedule, it prioritizes everything. But I'm what I would call a master delegator. I really don't do near the, I'm not as involved in operations now. So my time is spent on relationships. I could deepen those. I don't need to be at some of these meetings. I sign off on stuff, but I trust my team. But ultimately, I use what I call the Eisenhower matrix. I mean, it's a thing. And I say, what needs to get done today that's going to make the most impact? There you go. So that's the difference between step number two and step number three. So once you do the top six, then you want to prioritize by actually taking what those priorities are and slotting them into your day. So let's say you start your day at eight, you go from eight to nine, I'm going to do this one thing. I'm going to you know, write up a proposal for a client. Then from nine to 10.30, I'm going to, so you slot it in so that before you've even started your day, a lot of the time when you do this, you'll realize that the biggest things that were most important didn't get done because you put the wrong things into your schedule. So then you'll have to reorchestrate, oh, well, I just put all the things into my time slots and now I don't have time to get done the one thing that I need the most. Just like, I love how you said, one thing. Let's Gary Keller, one thing, focus on yeah. the one thing. Critical. So when you're slotting it into your day, you'll realize, and this happens very often. So then you're slotting in the right thing at the beginnings of your day. And another thing that's critical about this when you're planning which time where, you want to allocate time for reactive mode. So you're being proactive all throughout your day. And if somebody tries to raise their hand and say, hey, I got a minute, you got a minute. I mean, we touch our phones on average 2,016 times a day. 2,016 times. <laughs> Is that not ridiculous? It's like a computer these days, plus with text messaging, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, 
LinkedIn, and then you've got your email, then you've got your phone calls, then you've just got your calendar. So yeah, it makes sense. So you have to allocate that time to be reactive. So if somebody comes to you, hey, got a minute? No, I don't, but I have from 11.30 to 12.30 to handle all reactive meetings. So we can talk about It's an open door policy from these times, yep. Yeah, so reactive mode gives you that time. And then step number four is actually making sure, right? I blended the two, three and four is making sure that they're everything that's most important is scheduled into your day. Step number five, will it hurt you to throw this away? That is one of the hardest things because 82% of the information that you stored gets never referred to again. So that is a step that it takes 15 minutes in the beginning of a day or even at the night before your next day so that you can operate at maximum efficiency. And you do it in the first day and you go, wow, this was one of the most productive days I've had. But what's the difference is having the pig-headed discipline and determination to continue that ongoing. That's all of them? Yeah. Well, I blended them together, but you got the whole essence of what it is. You know, I think there's a lot here too, because I'm a video guy. Paul Akers wrote a book called The Two-Second Lean. And I reached out to him and he said, I don't take phone calls and I don't take email. He said, you send me a video through here. And he goes, make the video less than one minute and I'll see if I'm going to respond. And I'm not that harsh, but ultimately I'm really working. Bree's going to be moving to a different position and an executive assistant for me, the main goal is I hate email and everything on my desk is crap with email. And it's so hard to keep track of. So I just want somebody to go through and itemize each thing of importance, break it down for me. You know, the president of the United States, he talks to the Pentagon for 10 minutes. He gets a briefing and I want a briefing on everything that's happening in the world. And then I want to go into priorities for this morning. And I want three 10 minute meetings to go over email, Facebook, LinkedIn, What do I need to get back to? Who can I delegate to? Can you respond and set this up? Can I send a video back? Because once I send a video, people understand I'd much appreciate a video back. And let's just keep this quick and easy because we could have a very long email in a matter of a two minute conversation through video. So I think that that's really important. I think it also speaks to the availability of people and how you can use your sales process as well. Like I was just thinking about, I had this one prospect that I was going after. I'm really into healthcare. I'm watching my father pass and going through the healthcare system. I want to orchestrate and and re-engineer how we deliver healthcare to this nation. So I was going after this multi-billion dollar company, health insurance fund. And the gentleman has several hundred staff, but he has... 300 followers on Facebook. And this man posted like three times a week on his Facebook, but nobody communicated with him there. So I had his cell phone number, I had his email, and neither of them could I get him to reply back to me. But on Facebook Messenger, this man would reply to me. And it's so interesting to see, you know, where your closed door, it might be difficult to get you Emails are swamped. If you're selling B2B, you're swamped in emails. You're swamped in phone calls. Nobody wants a cold call today. Are you kidding me? But you could probably get in a door on one of their social media pages. And if they're posting something, they're looking for the validation of you to actually say, wow, I love that. Or how interesting is that? That's what we're seeking with social. So why not give that to them and get the door open? 100%. You know, I have someone looking at my LinkedIn. I look at my messenger. 
you know, text messaging is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. But ultimately, I have a hard time not responding because I was in their shoes at one time. And I, if someone would have opened the door to me, and they did. I, I mean, a lot of people did. You know, you got a story in Chapter 13 that we talked about on the new edition mm. of how your father generated more wealth in the last six months than he did the previous eight years combined. How was he able to pull that off? Yeah, that was a really wild story too, because I was supposed to give the manuscript to Penguin that morning. And I was, this is how I learned my father's business is I read through his old emails because he, he never told me like, here's what my businesses are. Here's who runs them. Here's what I want for my business. Like I got none of that. He just passed. And then there I was having no clue. So in another time of need where I was like, okay, this final manuscript is due. I was again, reading through the emails and I found this and it took me a whole nother year to digest it and figure out how to blend this message of what he had learned. And it reminded me of this conversation that I had with my guru. So one thing that I did when I took over the business is I started selling on webinars. So I would be up there like 26 years old with all these 50 and 60 year old men that have established businesses and I'm teaching them how to double their sales. And they're looking at me like, who is this kid? I don't know where I got the gumption. It sounds terrifying now, (laughs) but I did it. And there was one day where I was trying to sell on a webinar and I didn't close any business. And I walked up and I happened to be in the healing center where you went into divine bliss. And uh, Guruji was there and I bowed in respect and she looked at me. She said, something's wrong. What's wrong? I'm like, oh, no, nothing, nothing. Everything's fine. She's like, no, no. What's going on? I said, well, I just ran a webinar and it didn't close much business. And she said, close? What do you mean? And she's an enlightened saint. So obviously, you know, what does she know about closing? I'm like, well, close, you know, to win a sale, to close like a vice. (laughs) She looked fairly perturbed on that. And she said, why would you ever want to close somebody? That means putting pressure on them and putting pressure on you. And it steals the sweetness. Why wouldn't you want to plant a seed that could grow a tree and build an orchard? And then there's so much more abundance there. And she said that pressure steals the pleasure from life. And there was something about that shift of pressure into planting a seed and letting it grow that just clicked in my head. And after that, I doubled our clients multiple years in a row. I increased our marketing by 1100%. I mean, it was just everything shifted in that moment. And I realized that it was exactly what my father had said in his letter that he had never, oh, it's so hard to say, but he had never truly been happy because he felt that he had lived his whole life in a pressure cooker. And it wasn't until this very last months of his life that trying to come from a place of humbleness and gratitude and appreciation rather than like force and pressure. And then it actually generated more wealth than he had ever had in his life. So I was really amazed by that. So that's my piece that I added to his book is my father died at 55. It's uh, too young. He had too much to do to go that early. So I am here to assist and all of his methods are still tried and true. It's just the question of from what intent do you go about these things? Do you do it with pressure and force or manipulation or greed, or do you do it with humbleness and gratitude and a way to uplift those around you 
that will make all the difference between feeling pressurized and stressed versus uplifted and energized. Oh, I'm taking a lot of notes. I love this stuff. I was wondering what you were doing. I don't know. I got, I got plenty of stuff yep. here. So it's very interesting the way that you explain that. To, not trying to close. There's a book called The Gap and the Game. And in this book, it talks about a simple philosophy of if I want to do a billion dollars, for example, last year we did about 80 million. This year we're going to do 180 million. Let's just pretend I wanted to do 250 million instead of what we did, which we exceeded our goal. 180 minus 250 is 70. That's the gap. The gain was 100 million. Now, a lot of people live in the gap. They live in this time of unfulfillment. They live in this time of they missed their goal. They live in this time of resentment. And I think for me, you know, live a life of abundance and really focus on be deliberate with your thoughts and your activities. And for me, a blessing and a curse is I enjoy business. I really love business. I enjoy networking. I enjoy socializing. I enjoy patting people on the back. I'm not very good at punishing people. I'm not very good at the, the, I'm good at the carrot, not good at the whip, but it's a very uh, interesting notion. One of the coolest parts of the book is, you know, there's three ways to make money. Three ways. You get more customers, you keep customers coming back more often, you charge more money. And what your dad used to do, and I love this, is he used to do case studies. And one day, this guy walks up, you know, one of his clients and says, listen, I need more clients. I need more clients. And it was a carpet cleaner. And they used to do a lot of industrial carpet cleaning. And Chet says, do you really need more clients? Let's really dig in here and see what, what kind of information. It cut me off. I'm telling the story wrong. And he says, we'll do a case study and let's just find out if a carpet is a healthy thing for the environment, for, for, for the health of the people at the office. So what they found out was, the carpets are really good at catching viruses and diseases. But after six months, it actually becomes a really bad thing because now it's spreading germs like crazy. So the average guy, I think at the time, got it, their carpet cleaned, the other businesses, like every 18 months. And when they were able to take this huge data to prove that you'll keep a healthier environment and actually prove that you'll be more productive and you'll have happier workers, and they called businesses, instead of every 18 months, they were able to triple the businesses based on frequency. How do you even go about building case studies and finding epiphanies in businesses? What is the building blocks to even think that way? I love that. I actually put it into the new edition of the book. Funny that you should say that. So just to tie back what you're saying, because I love that story. But one of the things that's critical about this, which I do have the picture here, so if you're reaching out to, let's say you're cold calling 100 people, let's say you're posting on your Facebook page, let's say you're writing 100 people on LinkedIn messages, of those 100 people, only 3% will be in that buying now category. So if you're only talking about what you provide, 3% will be interested. You make 100 cold calls, three will finally raise their hand, right? So you think it's a numbers game. Another 7% will be open to it. The next 30% think that they're not interested. The last 30% are definitely not interested. 90% of this buyer's pyramid, this is page 65 of the ultimate sales. You flipped it up backwards, didn't you? I 
did. Did you see that? Have I told you, you, you about it? You told me about it. Okay. So if you're only reaching 3%, if you lead with an education, you can take people all the way from, I'm not interested, definitely not interested, not even thinking about your product and bring them into the buying now category. Now, because 40% of the content that we put out online today actually hinders your probability of a sale, 40%. So you think you're doing a good thing by checking the list of, yes, I've put out content on Facebook or I've sent my emails or I've done the DMs. You have to make sure that you follow the framework that leads them to you as the only logical conclusion. And this is how my father created those case studies. Now, I had never shared this before. I thought, oh my God, this is our special sauce. I can't divulge this. But I recently put it into the new edition of the book. So now it is there. But um, what I did is I took his buyer's pyramid and I flipped it on its head and I explained how we've helped more companies become number one than anyone else. So what it starts with is the global pain. So I'll give you an example. When someone says, so Amanda, what do you do? I'll usually reply with, well, let me ask you a question, right? Because I want to take the lead because nobody buys when they're leading. You need to lead the prospect. So I say, let me ask you a question. What percentage of businesses do you think make it to a million in annual sales? Me? Yeah. I know quite a bit about this. I'm going to say 4%. Oh, you are good. Okay, majority of people can't guess, but it's it's 5%. 5%. Okay. <laughs> but you're pretty darn close. That's pretty good. All right. So only 5% of companies make it to a million in annual sales. Of that, 0.08% make it to 5 million. Of that, your chances actually improve from 5 million to 10 million. It's 1.5% and 0.004% make it to 100 million and beyond. So what is this? This is an example of I'm talking about global trends, what's going on in the industry, what has happened over time. That's setting me up as an expert rather than just saying, yeah, we our service is this. So we start with global pain. Then we move into targeted pain. So what is the thing that keeps your prospect up at night? The function of this is to make your prospect feel that you understand them better than they can articulate themselves. Therefore, they believe you have the answer. So it's one thing to say, I sell carpet cleaning. It's another thing to say, here are the five dangerous trends causing more cancer in a home than you had even dreamed. Let me educate you on these things, right? Number one, it could actually be the way that the husband and wife interact with one another, because if they're stressed at the home place all the time, because there's a terrible relationship happening, that could be one. Cancer. Cancer. (laughs) Yes, leads to cancer. No, I'm, I'm making it off of, of the top of my head. I should probably yeah. use one that actually is one. That no, we no, no. This is great. I, um, I get your point. So we want to talk about all the pain points of them so they feel that we understand what's going on in their day-to-day life. So that they feel, wow, this person really gets me. So then we get into solutions. We want to solve a piece of their pain, not all their pain, but just a piece of, that they feel, wow, this person has provided me value. I haven't even pulled out my credit card yet. And they're giving me these things. I can't even imagine what it would be like to give them my credit card. So then from solutions, the difference between content marketing and what my father taught is a thing called resetting the buying criteria. So you could do all this education and then send them off to your competition to go purchase from your competition. So you have to educate them on everything they need to know before buying, hiring, investing in a product or service like yours. 
So the five things to consider before getting your garage door fixed, right? Before getting a company to come assist you with this, we can educate you on that. Number one, right? You want to look for a company that has X number of reviews. And it just happens to be the number of reviews that you're telling them is just below what you have, right? Which is more impressive than your competition. So every piece that you're educating them, you're leading them to you as the only logical conclusion without saying, this is what I do. This is how I'm the best. I'm different from the rest. Yeah, we've heard it all. That's why we are tuning out the commercial messages and we're only focused on convenience and price. But if you follow the system of global pain, targeted pain, solutions, resetting of the buying criteria, you haven't even mentioned your product or service yet and they are already ready to buy. That is a masterful, what we call a core story. Mm, brilliant. You know, one of the things that I was just talking to one of the consultants I brought on recently is always learn to ask a question when a question's asked. So if you were to ask me, well, how much is that garage door repair? Go ahead. Well, how much is that garage door repair, Tommy? That's a great question, Ms. Holmes. Can I ask you a question real quick? Absolutely. What are your cross streets? <laughs> So just keep going. Okay. Uh, Central and first. It's interesting because central and first, I've got a technician out that way. It's very hard to give you a price over the phone. That's like kind of diagnosing your transmission over the phone. I've got a guy that's going to be in your neighborhood between four and six today. I can have him come by, take a look. I've got one question. If you like what he has to say and he's got the parts on the truck, is that something you'd be interested in? And we always try to ask a question with a question because that's leading. And another quick thing that I love to do, and a lot of the people that know me know this, is you want your door to be safe, Amanda, don't you? <laughs> You're already, <laughs> I love that. You want to yes. make sure that it's fixed right today? You want to <laughs> make sure that you don't need to have to call us back in the future? Now I could take a yes question with a no phrase. Let's go ahead and get this done today. And these are simple little things that we teach here because body language is 96% of communication. Absolutely. So I've got a lot of cool things here. So let me go reverse real quick. Case studies, what is the development process? And if this is a secret sauce, I don't need to know it. I mean, we're, this is a podcast, but ultimately, is there a strategy behind getting the case study started? Like, for example, I happen to know that Remodel Magazine the last five years has said, the garage door is the number one return on investment, usually over 100% on your home. It's more than your kitchens or bathrooms. Wow. And when people understand that it's an investment, I'm going to get my money back out if I choose to sell it. It's the smile of my home. It's 40% of the curb appeal, like I said. So that wasn't done by me. That was done by a third party, which is a non-biased remodel magazine, doesn't care who wins. But do you have a strategy behind conducting a case study? So I'm a big proponent of using third-party market data. It shows that you're not biased, right? We've had plenty of clients that have actually done case studies and had that paid for focus groups to go through their product. And then at the end of it, they weren't able to use the results because of one way or another, some conflict of interest, or now it's not being able to be shared. So they'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get these case studies that aren't able to be publicly known. I don't know why. I have this in Panasonic had that problem. I probably shouldn't say all the people that I know that have had that problem. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a serious issue. So why not just use 
third-party market data. But the difference is, so people ask me all the time, where is the data? I need data. I want more data. But it's not about where the data is. It's how do you craft a message that grabs the attention of your prospect and makes them really lean in without you ever having to be pushy? Because 97% of people feel that salespeople are too pushy today. Everyone's pushing back. Why? Amazon, right? Amazon has increased our ability to go online and purchase things. Now we just want to go online and purchase things. We don't want to talk to people. So we have to lead with education. And how do we put down those guards? Two different ways. One is that education should lead with a story. People, since the beginning of time, we've told our history through story. It's why maybe you don't remember something that happened in a meeting last week, but you can remember what you watched on Netflix three weeks ago because there's a story involved in that. So you actually remember it much longer. And then the market data, that data helps back it up to make it more legitimate because we have lost the faith in our own society. We've lost faith in politics. We've lost faith in religion. I mean, our generation trusts mom bloggers over the 5 p.m. news today. I mean, you would say, of course, but when you think of baby boomers, they would never trust a blog over the 5 p.m. news. So. We're really having to blend story with data to make it irrefutable. So you have that logical brain and you have the emotional brain so that when they read that case study or where they hear that core story, it's just a no brainer. There's you and there's nobody else. You know, I tend to trust my local community more. There's a gal named Amanda Tress. If you look up Amanda Tress, micro influencer, she's doing like $150 million right now, just using local community influencers, like the soccer mom that you go watch your kids in middle school play soccer. I watch a soccer, you know, if I was a woman, I watch a soccer mom walk in and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's really in shape. She seems healthy. She seems happy. I'm going to ask her a few questions. And then it's like, they make a recommendation. You're like, yeah. And it's crazy what can come out of that. What are some things that could hold a business back from doubling their sales in the next 12 months? So we covered one, which is time management, right? Getting super focused on that. And if you could improve just one skill this next year, make it be time management first. Because when you manage your time appropriately, I mean, so many more breakthroughs happen, right? So one is time management. A second would be what I talked about with messaging, right? How can you hone in on your message so you are leading with an education so you can get nine times more from every move you're already making? That would be another one. Another one, should I talk about the fastest, least expensive way to double sales? Would that be valuable? Yes, please. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It is called the Dream 100. My father invented- Oh, I've got that on my list. The Dream 100. Thank you. So the Dream 100, fastest, least expensive way to double sales. My father invented it working for a billionaire by the name of Charlie Munger. He doubled the sales of nine different companies for Charlie, all within 12 to 15 months and several of them multiple years consecutively. So he realized he had a system for doubling sales. It's very simple at its core. There's always, okay, everybody that's listening, write this down. Tommy's already taking notes and I love that. I've never seen anybody such a voracious note taker while in an interview. It's impressive. (laughs) It's important. Yeah. So there's always a smaller number of better buyers than there are all buyers. That means marketing and selling to them 
is cheaper than marketing and selling to all buyers. Let me give you an example. So my father got a list of 2,200 prospects. Charlie said, go cold call these 2,200. He looked at that list and went, that's a lot of cold calls. So when he analyzed the list, he realized that 95% of the market was purchased by only 167 of them. So instead of going after 2,200, he led an intensive dream 100 effort targeting just those 167. Now, the first four months, he didn't get one sale, which was a little bit shocking, right? So he comes in as the sale expert and he can't even close a barn door. (laughs) But they were the biggest, best clients you could get. So it would take time. So in the fifth month, he closed the largest contract that the industry had ever seen. He brought Xerox into the fold. After that, they closed another 28, which doubled sales. And he just continued to double sales over and over and over again because he led these very focused, intricate, and yet memorable experiences. Because if you have just 100 people, or I'll even say, pick a target 12. One of our old strategists had a client, Tommy Schaff. I love him. So he had a $70 million company and 90% of their clients, or it was like the top 13 clients produced 90% of their revenue. So he recommended to fire like 450 clients and just go after this one client to double their sales. And they looked at him like, you've got to be kidding me. Why would we fire 400 clients? It's like, because it's a, a total mess. Just keep the 13. So we went after one client and that one client brought them $100 million and they doubled sales from one client. So what I'm just trying to say is let's focus because there's so much noise out there. There's so much clutter. Let's just hyper-focus on who would be the best ideal client. And then just consistently, you want to be in their face, in their place, in their space. Yeah. So what he recommended, and believe it or not, I still have a hundred Rubik's cubes, but uh, <laughs> you still have them. <laughs> I still have them. They're in a, I bought them from Alibaba. They're the small ones, but they're still pretty fun. But he'd come up with really creative ways to say, be in their face, top of mind awareness. And he'd send a Rubik's cube and it would say something along the lines of, I'm still puzzled why we haven't met yet. And then he'd send a couple weeks later, a month later, he'd send something else, a tape measuring device. And it would say, are you measuring the results of your current provider? And he got very creative with what he would do. And maybe like a stress ball, I'm sure you're stressed with your current provider or whatever, but top of mind awareness. And I think there's something that we're missing here. I've got a client that gives us over $2 million a year. Now, in general, the go-to number is spend 10% to acquire a customer. $2 million, 10%, $200,000. I couldn't try to spend 200. I I mean, I could bring them out to dinner. I could buy them a guitar signed by Elton John. I could could do a lot, but I don't even have to do that. I put notes here. There's nobody that's fighting for business anymore. There's nobody that's consistently doing these things. And if they are, it's cheesy. And it it drops off. But when you're very deliberate in the way that you choose who your dream 100 are, and you've analyzed the results of what can happen and what they can do for your business, you begin to have a more KPI or or mathematical approach to what you're able to do. And sometimes there's a book called Giftology. I work with John Rulin. And what he says to do is just, you could go on their Facebook page and see that they love Dave Matthews and get them a signed autograph with Dave Matthews. And it's, it's more of a heartfelt thought that they might put in their office. And every time they look at that Dave Matthews picture, they're going to say, yeah, Tommy Mello, man, 
really meant to call him. And then they get a card and it's a thoughtful card. And then they said, you know, my kid had COVID last week and it says, Hey, listen, I know how tough that could be when your child gets, but you're spending a little bit of money to do it. But it just seems like to me, it's, it's a great opportunity to be in front of clients and the dream 100. If I have a hundred clients giving me $2 million each, that's 200 million. And it's a lot. The biggest mistake I see with dream 100 is when you close a deal, you guard that. You literally cherish it. You don't let them go out the back door. So many people, they're so focused on the front door. Where's my next one? Where's my next one? They're losing these clients falling off the back door. And I think that's a huge mistake because people are so hungry for more. They don't realize, look at all the work you did to get that. Now, when you land the Dream 100 or one of the Dream 100, what's your game plan to keep the Dream 100? What are you going to do? And I got to tell you, I've struggled with this myself because I'm so hungry. I'm always out there hunting. And then, like you said, what if you could get these Dream 100 each to plant a seed? What if you could get them to plant a seed for you? What if you just said, hey, listen, the biggest way to get the Dream 100 list is to find one, take them out to dinner, get to know them. And then you say, let me ask you a question. What kind of conferences do you attend each year? What are they called? What kind of literature are you reading? Is there any trade magazines that you like? You know, for me, it would be this guy happens to do brand new homes, right? He does a lot of them, but he likes high-end doors. It's, it's nicer places. And so once you understand who your avatar is, you can really start to narrow down where they hang out. And all of a sudden you start saying, holy cow, this is a little honey hole. And uh, no BS about affluent marketing. He talks about the yacht clubs. Those people are buying mansions. Now, I don't know if it's best for garage doors, but he marketing to the affluent that don't care about money, that there's no recession going to ever hurt them. There's no depression that would ever hurt these people. You know, people compare to Walmart all the time. And I'm like, Walmart's one of a kind. Dude, that's not a good gameplay. But the Dream 100 is one of the coolest things that was ever invented. And your dad invented it. And it's just. Can I give another example of yes. the Dream 100 for today? So what I say about the Dream 100 is, my father came up with it before the internet. So, you know, direct mail and cold calling and faxing were his only tools. Today, like we're saying, we do have the ammo of what they're doing on social. So I'll give you an example. I met a potential client that I really wanted his business. And we met on a yacht and we sat next to each other and he couldn't go anywhere. We were in the middle of the ocean. And yet he ignored me the entire time, which, you know, only fueled me to be like, I got to win this guy's business no matter what it takes, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> normally people don't turn me down very often. <laughs> so after I'm, it came to the end of the night and I'm going to give the one that I gave you from your video and then I'll go on. So I said, Hey, let's do something fun. So imagine that I've just met you, Tommy at an event and we had a blast and I'd say, let's do something fun. Would you like to do something fun? Yes, I would. I would love to take a selfie. <laughs> you ruined it. Okay, so no, we take sorry. a selfie. Ah! Hi. And then I say, okay, what's your number? I'll text it to you. So I got his number. And then I asked him, where do you spend your time online? So by the way, that is called the signature selfie. And since 80% of leads are never followed up on, I highly recommend using that. It's a great tool. Super simple. Won't cost you a dime. Okay, moving on. So then I asked him, where do you spend your time online? And he said, well, Instagram, I spend most of my time. So we followed each other on Instagram. I took our selfie. I posted it that day and said, oh, it was so nice to meet you. You know, such a pleasure. Then every single day he would post 
either it was on his stories or on his personal page. And I would every single day comment on what he posted. So he'd post about his wife seeing Christmas lights. And I went, oh my gosh, your wife looks so happy seeing Christmas lights. You should give your wife Christmas lights like multiple times a year. The amount of joy she had, you have to do it. Then he posts about his children and how they had some bet that they couldn't go five days without having sugar. And they broke it within like 24 hours and it was only 25 bucks. I'm like, you should have charged him way more for that. Then he posts about how he's getting boots and he's going on a big hike. And I went, whoa, I climbed Kilimanjaro with new boots. And I have to tell you, wear them in first because it is so painful to go up a mountain with boots that are new. So every single day I was talking about his wife, his children, his business, what was going on in his world. And I had nothing. I talked nothing about my business. And this is a gentleman that had a hundred staff. You know, his inbox is totally full. If I had to cold call him every day, what the heck would I even talk about every day? But here I'm in his face, in his place, in his space. I'm showing that I care. I'm listening to everything he's saying. I'm validating what he's saying. I'm giving useful feedback. So much so that three months in, they reached out to me and said, hey, Amanda, we'd like to purchase 650 of the ultimate sales machines and send them to our best clients. Would that be okay with you? It's like, hmm, I think so. And still to this day, I'm still getting sales from that. And that was six years ago. And then they came back around and asked for another thousand. They purchased a thousand during the new book launch. So that is a really simple way that doesn't you know, people. There's a book, it's a classic. It's, I don't know, 60 years old. Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's painful to listen to on Audible. But really, people want to know that you're genuinely interested in them. And by asking questions, commenting, it's the new millennium here. It's the new way of doing business. And some people are obsessed with Twitter. Other people are on TikTok. TikTok's a little bit harder to do that with because most people are on there watching that posting as much depending on who they are but i use your signature selfie way before i knew it was your signature selfie but i use it completely different do you want to know how i use it i do i do you ready for a breakthrough a mind-blowing so everybody says i can't find great people they're not applying indeed's not working zip recruiter i've tried craigslist i do facebook blah blah blah, blah, blah. every time i'm out looking at somebody and they're just doing an amazing job at work they're just killing it. They're doing, they're at a bar, what a restaurant. They're a busboy. They're just a gas attendant that's smiling and multitasking and cleaning. And you could just tell their work ethic. You could tell a lot by just watching somebody and the way they react in their job. I say, you know something, Amanda? They usually got a name badge on. You're just killing it. And if I don't get their name, what's your name? Amanda. And I say, wow, listen, I think you owe it to yourself to listen. Do you mind if I take a selfie with you? And I do this with the worker. And they kind of think I'm weird at first. They take a selfie. I say, what's your phone number? I'm going to send you this and you'll see why in a minute. I get their cell phone. And then I'm continuously saying, we need to do a ride along. Listen, let me tell you a little bit about what we offer. We offer a straight line to get to six figures. We get all the benefits and you want yourself to do a ride along. And I'm telling you, it's been months. I've gotten three this last week of people that I haven't contacted. They just have one bad day at work. Their wife or husband says one thing their girlfriend, their kid, whatever it might be. And they go back to that Tommy Mello A1 garage doors. They remember because I left a profound impact. I'm the only guy to ask for a selfie of a complete stranger and then say, I'm so excited 
to meet you and to give you the ride along. And this is the secret sauce to recruiting. If you're out there hunting, now we farm a lot. We hire great people and we help nourish them and water them and get them in sunlight so they grow within the company. But at the pace I'm growing, we need to learn how to hunt. And that's one of the best ways to do it. And, you know, the only thing I haven't done is gamify it. And I think that that's going to be a great opportunity. And then I'm going to have Jim listen to this. Jim's my my right hand. And Jim, what I'd like you to do is make it so that we have a, not only a competition, but we have a simple app that follows up with the, the person. So I don't know exactly how we're going to do that, but I know we're going to have different. You like to talk about funnels. We've talked about it several times. There's a funnel that just keeps kind of pestering them till finally they like stop or, okay, I'm going to do it. I made some time. So I think that it's a huge opportunity. And here's the deal. I'm not going to go to McDonald's and recruit. I want to go to a nice restaurant. I want to go to a nice place. So now I can kind of tell myself, I'm going to pay a little bit more for dinner, a little bit more for lunch. But now I'm around the avatar I want that I'd love to work with, you know, around me. So I think that that's a huge advantage in just saying, we're going to go for a nice dinner. We're going to actually go. We're going to find the experience. We're going to talk to the manager, see if we can interview him because obviously he's done a fantastic job. This place is booked out four weeks. So lots of things in there. I love that so much. Can I now share people when I do my signature selfie, tell them what you just said and I'll give you credit. Yeah, no, go ahead. I'd love that. I love that because so many people are looking for people right now. My father did the same thing. He'd say, want to go shopping? But shopping didn't just mean like buying things. It also meant finding people, shopping for people everywhere. Well, it's interesting. Even this podcast, I got an idea of just inviting people here and saying, you'd love to see Amanda. Like she's a great friend of mine. She wrote an incredible book. Her father wrote it. She added on to it. And we'd probably have 500 here instead of 42, but I'm not mad about 42. I love that the people are here educating themselves, learning some of the things we're extracting your mind right here. Rather than read the book, if you're not a reader, this is how people consume information. And it's good to be on a podcast. It's good to do an audible. It's good to do posts like you do everywhere. It's good to do speeches. A lot of people, they plateau their growth. And a lot of people call me, they don't know what to do. A lot of people have a the down season. And my answer, I was on two podcasts earlier. My answer is, listen, if I'm a painting company and I, you're able to give me a better opportunity because you could offer a little bit better value in your off season. And you could also get them on a service agreement to where you're going back on your off season. And listen, I'm going to plan with my client and say, listen, are you going anywhere for Christmas by chance? Yeah, I'm going to you know Hawaii for two weeks. Great. So do you got a nanny or anybody, a neighbor that could Oversee, we're going to send you updated pictures, but you're out of the house. You don't have to deal with the fumes. Get busy in the off season and you'll kill it. I always tell bar owners because I used to, you know, I used to be a bartender. I say, listen, you know, you're going to kill it on Fridays and Saturdays. Sundays, you got the football. We need to figure out how to make one other night killer. We need to find something that's going to make your Mondays or Tuesdays or Wednesdays. Thursday's always pretty good. We need to figure out because Thursday's before Friday, we always get excited. But if we can make Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday packed, like pulling people in, maybe we have a pool table tournament. Maybe it's a dart tournament. Maybe you have a uh, trivia and you find trivia nerds and give them, you know, a deal to come in that night. But ultimately you will have a cash cow on your hands if you figure out how to make one of those days. Cause that day is all profit. I just love talking about this stuff. I love that. 
Yeah, there's going to be a lot of changes that happen over the next 12 months, two years, four years. I was also, I was just on a podcast earlier than this too, talking about community. Community is also another critical piece that we're really going to need going into this and making sure that that community is one that you really cherish and, and care about, not just something that pops up online and so you hop on a Facebook group or something. Really surround yourself with excellence. You know, it, it is important to get involved with the community. You know, I don't have kids, but ultimately you want to be around a place that's great and conducive to happiness. And happiness is a weird word because I see, it seems like I don't really get depressed. I'm very fortunate. I, I don't mean to say this, but I don't get depressed. Sometimes I get cranky if I don't get enough sleep. Sometimes I'm very bubbly. And if I walk in here and I'm just thinking about something real hard, people come in and they're like, are you all right? Is everything okay? And I'm like, yep. I'm just thinking, give me a few <laughs> minutes. Or food or sleep is two, two of my points that I'm like, I get cranky. So tell me a little bit about this letter to your dad, because I think that this is an amazing story and you shared a lot. Tell me how you came up with that. We've talked about it, but I want the audience to get a chance to hear. Yeah, I'm really big about having mentors in my life and coaches and I had been working on the book for three years at that point, And I just said, man, I don't think I'm going to get this done unless I have somebody helping guide me that's been there before. So I hired a book coach by the name of Julianne Eason. And our first meeting, the first thing out of her mouth, she was like, yeah, I've read your foreword, dear reader, because that's what forewords normally are. And she said, but I think that your foreword should be dear dad. And my response was absolutely not. Like <laughs> 100% no. Like it was on the brakes absolutely I could never do that. No. And it took several minutes, like maybe about 25 minutes for me to like calm down and finally say, "Okay, I did hire you as my coach. It would be ridiculous of me not to honor what you're asking of me, so I will do it, but only as an exercise. It's not going in the book." So, I later on was in, uh, I was in Puerto Rico and I was eating dinner by myself. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I think I have an idea. And I pull out my phone and all of a sudden the whole forward to my dad or the letter to my dad just poured out of me. I mean, like ugly cry. <laughs> well, at this point there was like no control. I'm sure everyone was staring at me because I'm like, <sighs> and it, 15 minutes later, it felt like time had just like stopped. And I had written this letter and I sent it over to her and she said, you absolutely have to put that in the book. And I felt very uncomfortable. Then I showed it to the team and several of them cried and said, you have to put that in the book. And then when we were talking about how to promote the book, everyone said, you should lead with it, your story with dear dad. And I went, Absolutely not. <laughs> what are you saying? And they're like, yeah, make it into a video. And I'm like, okay, well, if it's a video, I'll just record me reading it. And then we'll put words on the screen and it'll be a black background. There was that version. And then there was a version of like pictures and video from my childhood, like videos of my father. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like that is terrifying. Why would I show my childhood memories? And every person that watched it from my team went, no, it has to be the one with your video of when you were a kid and all of that. It can't be a black screen. So every step of the way I resisted, dear dad, and putting that out there. And it wasn't until two days ago, I was on a podcast 
a world-renowned psychologist. And I said this to him and he replied with, it's because you don't want people to know how much you miss your father and you're uncomfortable with letting your guard down to let them know. And I thought, wow, I think that's actually true. It was really profound. So I'm still accepting that response that I got a few days ago, but I think people need to hear humanity. They need to see the cracks because too much of it is false and created online. And therefore you feel like people just aren't human. So it really resonated with people. You know, have you ever sat down with a psychologist or therapist and they ask you something, the really good ones could kind of lean in, but sometimes the problem is, and I'm sure some of the audience has been here, certain things they just don't want to get. I've already hit it. It's in a deep, dark hole. And some people say, well, listen, you take that out of the hole, get it open, but you can't put it back in. (laughs) Once you open it back up, it's not going back in that hole. It won't fit. So that's a good one, though. You know, that's good that you you miss your dad. He was a great guy. You know, I, I didn't get a chance for a lot of questions, but I'll ask you a couple more. Attracting a player's personality profile. One of the things your dad always used to do is used to say, listen, let's just say you were the best salesperson in the world and you walked into my office and I'd you go ahead, give me your resume, I'd interview you. And, and then I'd say, you know, Amanda, and actually one of my buddies interviewed for your dad. Oh, yeah. Back in the day, his name's Nick, way back. And he goes, you know, Nick, I'd love to hire you. I really would. But I just don't think you got what it takes for this. You know, it, this is, takes a lot of tenacity. It takes someone that's optimistic that could take no and actually move on. And I'm just not sure you fit that role. And so he challenged people because if your answer was, well, all right, I guess call me if you know you need me. But it, the great people would go, what do you mean? Challenge me. I'll do it free for two weeks. Give me a challenge, put it in front of me, and I'm going to whoop that ass. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting of, of his way of doing that was basically kind of just saying, you know, I'm just not sure you got what it takes. If you use that as a filter, that the people that say yes, they're in for the challenge, they want it, but it's a certain type of person. The other people, they could have a different role, probably, you know, I don't mean to belittle janitorial service, but ultimately people that want to be challenged, you challenge them, they accept the challenge and they say, bring it. What do you need from me? I don't take no for an answer. Because if that's where you're willing to bow out right after the interview at your first challenge, your first confrontation, then we got issues. I love it how you're telling me. I'm thoroughly enjoying you just doing the hard work for me. <laughs> well, listen, listen, it's, it's great. No. You do cite a if lot. If I didn't know the book so well, I wouldn't be uh, talking about it. This is one of the few books I know better than, I don't know it better than you. But anyway, let's talk about one other favorite thing in the book before we end. If you got a few minutes. You should read the new edition because I added. I didn't get it yet. Five. In chapter five, I added to the hiring. Because we get a lot of feedback from like the bigger corporate clients. And because things like Twitter today, people go on and slash you like, oh, this person was so mean to me in my interview. Again, Tom Schaff, who I absolutely adore, one of my mentors, he worked with my father for several years. And when he was doing that process, he added in like ways to say no to them and see if they were coachable. Because what he wanted to know is, is this person willing to hear feedback 
And are they willing to shift? Because that's more important to me. I want somebody to be coachable. So first you would deny them and then he would ask them if they were open to feedback and then see how they accepted the feedback. So do you want to go through a little drill that I've done at at least two dozen interviews? Yeah. All right. So just join in with me. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. So this is a good one because some people look at me like I'm freaking nuts. And if they can't sing happy birthday with me, some people are like, I'm not doing that. And I'm like, okay. So it kind of tells if you're going to have fun. And it also tells, but you can see if people start laughing, like, how old will you be? And it's like, all of a sudden, it's actually like, okay, this person will actually, but it's a fun way. So other people are like, dude, are you joking? Seriously? So I'm sure you've got a lot of other ways that I'll be reading about. We'll do a second one once I get it read. I love that. You know, I've been making, I've been getting my rooms when I keynote, I get them to sing. Do you? What song do you get them to sing? It's been hilarious because it's like the polar opposite of what they want to do. Like in that moment, like when I keynoted for HubSpot, they actually asked me to do it, a part of my keynote. And out of the 90 minutes, I just took one minute and I said, would you like to learn how I was able to clear my mind to be able to discern when every obstacle was in front of me? There was no way that I could have found a way, but this is the process. It doesn't cost you a dime. You don't have to take a pill. You don't have to drink. You don't have to talk to a therapist. It's all within you right now. And it takes 60 seconds. They were like, hell yeah, I want to hear that. And then I'd say, okay, well, I love to quantify things. I'm very big about data. So on a scale from one to 10, how do you feel right now? And then I get them to just go inward and really analyze on how stressed am I right now and put a number to it. And then for 60 seconds, we'd do a song. And then at the end, we do it again on a scale from one to 10. Oh, it makes me so happy. It was so much fun. So do you remember, was it like... uh Old MacDonald had a farm. No, the definition of meditation is to have an altered state of consciousness. It means that you rise above the clutter of your own mind. But majority of people think that going into silence means that their mind actually gets louder and the chatter gets louder. So to sit in silence and to think that's meditation is actually doing the polar opposite. So what my guru taught me is that you actually use the sound of your voice in repetition with something that's positive to elevate your mind. So it's easier to get to what meditation really is, which is an altered state of consciousness. So uh, one that I absolutely love that she had taught me the words and then I put music to it was, I'm happy. I love myself. My body's full of love and light. I'm happy. I love myself. My body's full of love at night. And I'd have them all sing it. And they look at me like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. But after like a minute of doing that, you've got to break a smile. You've got to just like laugh at yourself. And then some of them didn't. And I was like, how serious are you really? Like, how long is your life? You should be ashamed of yourself that you can't even let it go for just 60 seconds. <laughs> Come on, get a grip on life here. What are we doing this for? Well, that you used to be a singer, so that's not fair. I would just say, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> 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 you know, it's, it's funny because I think about the little Sunday school. And this is where we go off because I like this part of our podcast because last time we did this the whole time. 
we but, did do it. Oh. You know, if you get to really think about like Jesus loves the little child, whatever song you learned when you were a kid, it just brings you back to that time. And it's usually, hopefully, if you had a childhood like mine, and it wasn't always easy, but it brings you back to great spots. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's so impossible for me to go back to the bad times. Maybe because I buried him, but I'm, I'm the type of guy I sit. Like I look at a situation and if there was 10 different perspectives, mine would probably be the best because life's too short and you can make something out of anything. You can make a great story or an experience or a learning moment. So absolutely, you guys got to get the book, get it. It's an amazing book. It's the Red Bible it's on my shelf right there. The ultimate sales machine. So ultimate sales machine.com, not the ultimate. So ultimate, ultimate sales. sales machine.com. Yep. Well, you've been busy writing a book and it takes a long time to put a book together. Someone taken to write. How long is yours? So the first book took a long time. The second book, I had to go to Nashville and really we talked through for two days, everything. We had to extract my brain, whiteboard it. We had to say, what's the message? You know, what's the message? What's the movement? And after all these thoughts and stories and just pivotal moments. It was simply elevate. That's Mm -hmm. what I want people to do is elevate and build a company, build a business in which everybody wins. You know, I got the chapter and then the book just came out. And what I realized in the book is I couldn't put everything I wanted because it didn't flow. So my next book is called The Power of ADHD because the next one's going to be scattered as hell. It's just going to be like, it's going to be boom, 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 boom. You haven't even come out with your next one yet, and you already have the sequel. Yeah, well, hopefully the Home Service Billionaire will be coming out in a couple of years, because I I wrote Home Service Millionaire. But anyways, where can we find more of you? Where's your favorite spot to post about Amanda Holmes and and your business and your personal? If someone wanted to just reach out, what's the best spot to do that? Yeah, I am on all social medias, but my favorite is Instagram. And uh, Amanda Holmes is taken by some woman that doesn't care to post, which I would love to take it from her, but I can't seem to get her to read my messages. So you can find me with my salsa name, which is Amandita Holmes. Amandita. Yeah. Or you could do, you know what you could do is you could do official Amanda Holmes. Oh, look at that. I'm official Tommy Mello on Insta and TikTok and Twitter. Do you do a lot of TikTok? Yeah, look at it. It's official Tommy Mello. Okay. No W. Everybody puts the W. Uh, Last thing I do, Amanda, and I've already taken up too much of your time, but whenever I'm having fun, I just hate getting off. It's so quick. It just feels like we talked about 25 minutes, but it's been over an hour. I'm going to want to give you the floor. Close this out. We talked about many things here, but maybe we didn't hit some of the things that you wanted to leave the audience with, or maybe we just left something out or one final thought and I'll, I'll give you the mic. I kind of wish that I had heard you talk more because it was so lovely. I love hearing your thought processes and the amount that you're such a voracious learner. So I guess for everybody that's listening, be a voracious learner like Tommy Mello. As long as you are hungry for knowledge and wanting to get better and better, there's so much joys there and so much life to be lived. So thank you showing up the way that you do. Well, listen, I'll tell you what, I do a lot of podcasts and you're always so good. You guys got to buy the book and listen 
to this ode to her father because it's genuine, it's real, and it's special. And you're amazing. And I appreciate our friendship. And uh, you keep up the fantastic work. Thank you. You too. All right. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you guys uh, listening today. Hey, guys, I just wanted to thank you real quick for listening to the podcast. From the bottom of my heart, it means a lot to me. And I hope you're getting as much as I am out of this podcast. Our goal is to enrich your lives and enrich your businesses and your internal customers, which is your staff. And if you get a chance, please, please, please subscribe. You're going to find out all the new podcasts. You're going to be able to ask me questions to ask the next guest coming on. And and do me a quick favor. Leave a quick review. It really helps us out when you like the podcast and you leave a review. Make it four or five sentences. Tell us how we're doing. And I just wanted to mention real quick, we started a membership. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. You get a ton of inside look at what we're going to do to become a billion dollar company. And uh, we're just, we're, we're, we're telling everybody our secrets basically. And people say, why do you give your secrets away all the time? And I'm like, you know, the hardest part about giving away my secrets is actually trying to get people to do them. So we also create a lot of accountability within this program. So check it out. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. It's cheap. It's a monthly payment. I'm not making any money on it to be completely frank with you guys, but I think it will enrich your lives even further. So thank you once again for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it.